welcome to Blooming Out, Indiana's only LGBTQ plus news and public affairs show featuring music, events, and interviews, both local and global. From the WFHB studios in Bloomington, Indiana, this is Blooming Out. Good evening and welcome to Blooming Out on WFHB. I'm Jeff Poley. And I'm Janae Cummings. On tonight's episode, we'll have our featured music along with our LGBTQ plus area calendar. First this evening, Rob Ping Slater, the board president of Quarry Land Men's Chorus, is joining us to speak about this past chorus season as well as activities planned for the upcoming season. Rob, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Hi, Rob. So, I understand that um, it is an exciting new season for Quarryland. It is. It's our 15th anniversary. We are super excited. Uh, we're calling this season Celebrate, which is exciting in all, all of itself. Um, but it's also our Ruby anniversary. So there are lots of things that we can do with that name of Celebrate and Ruby anniversary. Yeah. We're so looking forward to it. That sounds, sounds very festive already. So um, 15 years. So Quarryland began... In 2002. Uh-huh. And tell us a little bit more for our listeners who maybe who do not know much about Coryland. Sure. We just actually had a leadership retreat to kick off season 15, and somebody was talking about our mission. And our mission has never changed over the last 14 seasons, which I think just goes to show what a great job our founding members did. Um, we're a positive performance-based community for gay and bisexual men, trans men, and their allies in South Central Indiana, not just in Bloomington, but the entire listening area. And um, we really strive uh, to create fellowship, pride, and understanding through vocal music. And we come together and do that in a fun way. Sure, so, so the chorus welcomes all, I understand, who identify um, as men, bi, straight, gay, transgender, to sing, but you welcome everyone, uh, genders, sexual orientations, because you, there are a lot of things happening with Coryland and a lot of uh, positions and, and areas where you need help. Absolutely. Um, we have a lot of women who are in our chorus, and they don't identify clearly as um, a man who is a gay bisexual. They, uh, they do not sing. Some of them do, but they say. don't sing in our concerts. <laughs> uh, we had a wonderful yeah. uh, time singing the national anthem for a women's basketball game a couple seasons ago, and we asked all of the women in the community to join us. Um, so if you go to our Facebook page or visit uh, a lot of our posters at booths around that we have at booths around town, you'll see some wonderful pictures of the entire group, men, women, gay, lesbian, bi, straight, all coming together uh, to sing for IU Athletics. Oh, cool. So, and, and you guys, you guys keep so busy. I, and I should say we, because I am very proudly a member of Corey Land myself. And, um, but there is, there is so much w within a season. Um, just do, give us a recap of maybe say the last year, some of the highlights of what, what's been happening with Corey Land. Ah, Jeff is a great question asker because he knows that we just returned from International Music Festival um, in Denver. And I have to tell you, um, I can't use the O word probably, but it's like the gay, those big games that are going on in Rio right now for the singing community. Um, we come together every four years. It's not a competition. It's just a huge supportive event. Uh, there's over 6,000 people there, over 130 choruses. 
And the choruses make up this movement of choruses called gala choruses, spelled like gala, but we like to pronounce it gala. Naturally. And, uh, <laughs> naturally, exactly. <laughs> and um, it really started uh, before Harvey Milk was assassinated. Uh, the women feminist choruses um, on the West Coast were already started. And the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus had had two rehearsals when Harvey Milk was assassinated. And they sang on the steps of the State House there um, a piece that we actually sang at, uh, not our chorus, but that was sung at gala um, by a, a wonderful activist named Holly Near. Um, and it, just a beautiful song that they did way back then. And that's really what sort of kicked off the gala choruses movement. And now here we are, you know, 30, 40 years later, um, hundreds of choruses, thousands of members coming together to support each other, uh, to sing about LGBT plus rights. And it's, it's just a, an amazing thing. When I came back, I said my goal for 2020 is to get more people there, not even performing, but just to experience um, the hundreds of performances that happen and just the love and community of all of those people coming together. I agree. It was absolutely one of the most awesome um, moments um, with the course that I've, I've that I've had and and just in general in 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 my life it was amazing we met um chorus members from all over literally all over the globe um some of the the ones that just blew me away just the fact that they were there right is the the um the chorus from Cuba right the first time ever absolutely uh, I think their name is Mano Imano. Yes. And they sang as part of the, um, I believe, part of the Los Angeles uh, Gay Men's Chorus set, and they were amazing. Sure, yeah, they, they were. But, I mean, it was it was every um, chorus that you've ever heard of in the United States and, and abroad, and uh, it it was just phenomenal and, and theatrical. I mean, we are talking, you know, Broadway caliper performances in in some cases. Absolutely, they have what are called concert uh, coffee concerts, uh, which are usually in the morning. Um, this is usually following some sort of leadership workshop or leadership breakfast amongst people who uh, want to learn from each other, which is a wonderful aspect of the gala choruses that that they help each other out. Um, but these coffee concerts, I attended one. Um, by the Washington D.C. Men's Chorus. Uh, from a, I attended one from Atlanta, one of Boston, and um, these choruses do a, a full hour-long presentation. Whereas the Coryland Men's Chorus was slated for a 25-minute block, so you li literally get 25 minutes to get on stage, sing a few songs, and get off stage. And you really try to represent your state or your area. Um, or, or just the people who, who are sort of sending you and promoting you and the people that you are representing, um, like we do here as a nonprofit in Indiana. And if I recall, um, it was a pretty positive uh, response. It was wonderful. Um, it was hard for us. We couldn't see our audience, which is really unusual. Right. We're used to singing in venues local to Bloomington or local to South Central Indiana where we can really connect with faces in our audience, really see the smiles of people as, we're, as we are singing. 
And so we were in this big opera house, uh, probably would seat over 3,000 people, and the stage lights and just all the amazingness that is doing a professional performance uh, made it so we couldn't see our audience. So right. it was a little frustrating to us, I think, but the response was amazing. Um, having people come up to us afterwards, have people so posting things on social media and just saying, you know, we can't believe in 2012 you brought 18 performers and now you have 30. You've grown so much and your and your musical talent is really apparent when you get up there and sing. Sure. The um, and, and we had a lot of uh, Hoosier um, support. In, in the in the opera house, if I recall, we did. Uh, we had some local people from the Indiana University um, Gay and Lesbian Bisexual Alumni Association, which was great to have some of them in attendance. We also had some of our own partners, spouses, and friends who traveled with us to Denver to support us, and some other choruses that are local to the Midwest also made sure to show up and just give us their support, which was wonderful. It w it was an amazing. Um, uh, weekend and one of the the, the more interesting kind of uh, uncertainties of of that weekend. Do you recall um, in downtown Denver there was also another very um, large, well publicized event that was scheduled to <laughs> to go on? Do you there there was. So I actually have a personal story. The Western Conservatives were having their convention um, right before gala right before the gala festival showed up, and coincidence? <laughs> I wonder. Yes. Yeah, so the presidential nominee um, Donald Trump was actually there the Friday before we arrived, and there was a lot of worry and concern that something might erupt between the one very liberal group and one very conservative group. And I actually met some people from the uh, from the area who also were concerned about what might happen. Um, luckily, everything everything was fine from what I could tell. My partner and I, my husband and I, actually stayed in the same hotel where the where the conventioners were were there, um, and there were welcome posters, welcoming gala choruses, and everything in the lobby. So, the hotel really, I think, did a good job of of helping to quell that fear that something might happen. I agree. Yeah, I, I was very impressed with um, the Denver, the community, the the hotel, um, the, the, the just everyone that was involved and that, that welcomed yeah. people from Gala. It was wonderful walking down. They have a big boulevard in Denver, um, the 16th Street Mall, and they had asked all of the choruses to have a banner created. And so Quarryland Men's Chorus had their first banner posted in a major city, um, you know, on the street sign as we walked down. And it happened to be next to the Beijing Chorus, which was pretty amazing to be up there with another international chorus right, right there on the 16th Street Mall. Sure. What else happened um, in the previous season apart from? So our last season was called um, Why We Sing. And it was... Um, it was really a wonderful season of coming together. Uh, I mentioned gala choruses. A lot of the pieces that we sang last season had been commissioned works by other gala choruses from all over the country. Um, we also commissioned a work last season, which is a really big undertaking for such a small chorus. Can you explain that to us, what that means? Sure, so commissioning a work means it's something um, we particularly reached out to uh, a composer in Indiana, so we wanted to sort of keep it as local as we could. So she wrote the music. One of our founding members, Donovan Walling, who has been a, a wonderful supporter all through our history, um, is a writer and a poet. And so he donated the words from one of his poems. So we put his words with some music uh, from University of Manchester, 
composer Deborah Lynn and came up with this wonderful piece of music that really talks about the lives of, of gay men and sort of um, where we've been and that we're really looking to the youth of today to sort of take us into the future. That was what the poem was about. But it costs money to do that. Um, you have to have it published or you want to have it published and you're paying the composer. Um, in this case, Donovan donated the words, which was wonderful, but sometimes you have to pay for even the writing of the words. And um, it's a big undertaking. And what's wonderful about it is that now there'll be pieces of music uh, out there with Corey Landman's Core's name on them. We perform a lot of others, and it'll say Seattle Gay Men's Chorus or or whatever, who was the commissioning group who originally did it. And just to have your name out there and have other choruses performing what you've created is is a great thing, too. It's another way just to keep the ball rolling with it, with your organization and show that that we're not just the little chorus that could from Indiana, but <laughs> we actually uh, do some of the things that the larger choruses around the country do as well. Yeah, keep, keep some really um, good company. Have any choruses picked up the song yet? Um, I'm sure that they have. I don't know specifically, uh, but when we did our first commission piece, uh, we'd sang it when four years ago when we were in Denver again for the same festival, um, and we sort of did the world premiere of this piece this year at Denver, so we're sort of on a four-year cycle, and other choruses will definitely hear those, um, and it's such a great venue to be able to perform it and sort of do the premiere of it each time, and you know that some of those choruses are going to be looking for things for their own chorus to do. do. Do they have to get permission, Rob, to um, to perform a, a, a commission piece? Is that how it works? They absolutely do. Um, so we actually, this is unusual, but we're actually working on uh, another commission piece right now. And uh, it's unusual for us in that we don't usually get the opportunity to do that right away. And we're, we're teaming up with some other choruses uh, to be, put together a, a commission piece of music uh, that we will actually own for quite a long period of time and only the choruses who are commissioning it will be able to perform it for the first year. We'll have the rights to perform it forever, which is unusual. Um, the pieces that we did before, uh, we have the rights to perform it, but there'll be a publishing house who's actually selling it to the other choruses. So I don't think that we get any money back from that. Um, but our name is on it forever, which is great for name recognition. Interesting. So. All right. Well, as the Coryland Men's Course enters their fifteenth season, we would like to feature some of a couple of those songs for our listeners to hear. Right. So, the first song is composed by beloved Hoosier Hoagie Carmichael. Rob, would you want to lead into that one? Sure. This is actually one of the pieces we performed in Denver for the Gala Festival, and it's not a piece of music that you would normally here or that you would normally recognize as Hoagie Carmichael. Um, most people recognize George on my mind or Stardust. Uh, this one is called Ain't God Good to Ain't God Good to Indiana. And it's very much of a different style for Hoagie Carmichael than what you would normally hear. So yeah. enjoy. Where there's sunshine in the clover and there's honey in the 
You, you just, just listened to Bloomington's own Corey Landman's chorus singing eight God Good to Indiana. I'm sorry. Lost my place. Uh, we're back here on Blooming Out this evening with Rob Pink Slater, board president of Corey Landman's chorus. So So the uh, this the song we just listened to was um you said, Rob, written by Hoagie Carmichael, Ho- Hoagie Carmichael being a, a fellow Hoosier. If you're walking around the IU campus, you'll see the, what is it, bronze? Yeah, there's a wonderful statue of Hoagie on campus. There's also a, a wonderful historical marker in front of the Gables, which is on Indiana uh, Avenue that talks about his life here at Indiana University and how he went to law school. And uh, oh, a big part of our set uh, at the Gala Choruses event in Denver that where we just returned from uh, featured Hoagie Carmichael and several of his songs. So it was amazing to represent Indiana in a way that not only let people hear us sing, um, but also to represent some of the composers of Indiana and things that we've done here. The, um, the what is it, the content of... Um, of the performance, it it was Hoagie Carmichael. It was a commissioned piece. Um, let's see what else, because really the the thing I like about Coryland is we really cover a lot of of territory, a lot of styles, a lot of you know a lot of genres, and um, you know some is some things are are. F- a fun, kind of bouncy, a little not so serious. Others are deeply, you know, poetic and and have very deep meaning. Um, you know, talk about very important issues that have to do with our lives. Um, and sometimes we just sing something because we do it well. So <laughs> I asked our artistic director Barry McGee when he introduced the set to us for gala. Uh, I understood the Hoagie Carmichael uh, pieces because they, he was from Indiana. I understood our commission because it was from Indiana. And there was another piece that we performed called Hodier Christus. Mm-hmm. And I said, what's its connection to Indiana? And he said, there's none. We just perform it really well. <laughs> and this is a very classical piece of music in Latin. 
Uh, it, it's a little bit difficult to perform, but we really do as a, as a chorus of less than um, 40 performing members at any one time on stage. We really do have wonderful blend and we come together and have fun to create that blend and really work together hard. And that's why we added that to our repertoire for gala in uh, Denver, just because we're able to perform it well. And it show, really does show the gamut of what we're able to do from classical to fun. Uh, do we do pop things as well? Uh, that especially if they're relevant uh, to something that we want to talk about. Um, when marriage equality was big, we did a Bruno Mars piece uh, for one of our concerts, and it was all about you know just marry us, please, just mm-hmm. let us get married. Right, and and I also like the um, the venues, and it, it's not just churches, it's not just opera halls. Um, for example, I'm thinking uh, a winery. Yes. So last year we did our first big cabaret and cabernet, which was a big fundraiser for the chorus. Our goal was to raise around $1,500 and we raised over $3,500. So kudos to the Bloomington and South Central Indiana uh, community for supporting us. It really helps a lot uh, to help us do outreach activities, to put on major concerts, to really make our voices be heard and get out there and, and support the whole LGBT community when, when everyone comes together like that. It's really great. And we also perform for area events like Spencer Pride. We went there and we literally brought down the house <laughs> as we collapsed the stage under thunder and lightning, uh, singing some of our songs there. And we're getting ready to perform for the Bloomington Pride Summerfest coming up on Octo- August 27th in downtown Bloomington. So I'm really looking forward to doing that as well. Right. And now that's, uh, what, a 3 p.m. performance, I Our believe? performance is at 3 p.m. And I believe we also will be kicking off the festival by singing the national anthem, which will be a great addition to the festival this year. Awesome. Um, it's your Ruby anniversary, 15 years. Um, apart from Bloomington Pride Summerfest, which of course is a fantastic event, um, what else do you have in store this year? Uh, so right now we're really concentrating on recruiting new members. So if you go to our events listing online, uh, you'll see a few things where we're going to the Bloomington Volunteer Network Fair, which will be at the Farmer's Market on August 20th. So if people are interested in coming and learning about the chorus, they can visit us there from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Uh, they can also come to the 4th Street Arts Festival, which is September 3rd. And they can also come and um, we do several events at Indiana University as well. There's a 7th Street block party uh, that's coming up quick. And there's also the student involvement fair, which is also coming up. So those are all places where people can actually come learn a little bit about the chorus. And that all sort of builds up to our fall open house, which is August 22nd. Um, I call it a meet, a greet, and learn and sing uh, because we really do have some time to get to know the chorus members, uh, to learn a little bit about chorus history. We do some singing because we are still rehearsing to get ready for the Bloomington Pride Summerfest. And we have a little bit of cook and punchy, cook and punchies. Wow, it's been a long day. Yeah, cook and punchies are might be better than cookies and punchies. I, I, I think a couple of us are punchy. I'm definitely punchy. Uh, so it's just a, a great time to be social with the chorus, to learn more about us. And, um, and then also watch a rehearsal or sing along if you are, or if you really want to jump in and get your feet wet. Yeah. Where's, where's the home base, Rob? Where, where can people just stop by and... Yeah, we have been really lucky. Uh, there's an open and affirming congregation here in town called First United Church. They're located at 2420 East 3rd Street, and they have opened up their doors to us for rehearsal space. We also do have done several of our concerts there. So our open house on August 22nd will be there at First United Church. And then the following week, people can return for our fall auditions. 
And we do auditions before and after our regularly scheduled rehearsal. So that will be August 29th, uh, 6 to 7.30 p.m. We'll hear people if they'd like to audition. And then we have rehearsal 7.30 to 9.30. And then we'll hear more auditioners uh, 9.30 to 10. The auditions are really easy. Uh, you come in, you have a little interview with the artistic staff. They might have you sing some scales, sing along with the piano a little bit, something that's pretty easy just so we can see how, how good you are at matching pitch. And that's really it. They're really just trying to find out what section would be best to put you in and find out what experience you might have had in any other choruses, if any. We have people who come in who have never sung with a chorus before, um, who have no musical training whatsoever, uh, but they're able to uh, follow along with the person they're sitting next to, um, or they're able to download some of our recordings and learn at home on their own uh, smart device or on their computer, and they're able to sing with us as well as the people who have graduated from the Jacobs School of Music. Are you looking for any particular types of voices to fill out the choir? Men's voices. Men's voices. That's all we're looking for, yep. So that means if you're a trans person or you are a male person, uh, as long as you can sing the parts of the male voices, we are happy to have you. And the you have this season, I, I believe I, I was noticing there was conversation and it was very obvious that there are a lot of tenors with this, <laughs> this season. <laughs> we were, it was amazing. At our last rehearsal last Monday evening, uh, we had six new people and almost all of them were tenors. Uh, <laughs> last season, we had 14 baritones and six first tenors. So we were really baritone heavy. Um, I think part of that was a lot of people were still traveling. Um, I want to mention, too, that it was amazing at the last rehearsal. Um, we were going to, to gala, and we thought that we had a lot of men join us from the Indianapolis area just because we were going to gala, and they wanted to sing with us for gala. Um, I am super happy to let our whole South Central Indiana community know that almost all of those men, there were a dozen, uh, returned for rehearsal for this season, and that makes me, as a, as a leader of the chorus, that makes me just extremely happy um, that they are happy singing with us and are willing to make that hour or hour and a half long trip to rehearsal every week uh, to sing with this community um, organization that, you know, that really has a great mission and is really out there trying to do good things for all of South Central Indiana. Definitely. It, it, it helps uh, expand up to the, the Indianapolis area. Um, one of the, the fun things that I enjoyed was the... Uh, the Dolly Parton birthday celebration that we yes and we hope to do more things did. like that where we're going up into the Indianapolis area or to Columbus Indiana or over to Terre Haute to do uh, small outreach events like that as well let's take another minute to listen to more of the amazing music created by Corey Lan with artistic director Barry McGee here's his arrangement on this Indiana favorite back home again in Indiana Then I long for my Indiana. 
artistic director Barry McGee's arrangement of Back Home Again in Indiana, sung by the Coryland Men's Chorus. So, Rob, um, let's see. We are, you, there are, like you said, quite a few things happening. We've got Bloomington Pride Summerfest coming up. Um, you've got uh, the 4th Street Festival of the Arts. Now, that's the... F- is that the first time that Corey Land is going to perform there? It isn't. We've actually have sung there in the past. Uh, we've sort of taken a hiatus for a couple of years. Uh, it's a really busy uh, weekend with it being a holiday weekend. So a lot of our yeah, yeah, a lot of our performers are out of town. Sure. Uh, so uh, our plan is this year though to perform at noon on Saturday, September third, and we hope to sort of get back into the swing of, of being at the arts festival. We we really actually received a lot of attention there. Last time we were there, they took some of our music and they used it for a lot of Bloomington marketing. So it was actually one, the background for a marketing piece for the for Bloomington, Indiana, which was really fun to hear our voices. And nice. you can hear that on YouTube and see it on YouTube. Oh, okay, great. Um. I mean, it looks like you wrap up the 2016 uh, run of events with a winter concert. Can you talk about that? It is true. And because of it being our 15th season, we're really hoping that we can get some alumni to come back and perform with us. Um, Our artistic staff is working on compiling a list, a short list of some of the favorites that we've performed over the last 14 seasons. And we're going to let our Quarryland community vote on what we're going to be performing. And in addition, we're going to ask alumni to come back. And even if they only have time to come to a couple rehearsals, um, if they're able to come back and sing one or two pieces with us, we're going to welcome them to the stage with us. And so it should be a, a much larger chorus than people are usually seeing and hopefully a much larger audience as well. Uh, it's really wonderful looking out into the pews at First United Church and having them all be full with smiling faces, listening to things that really mean something to each of them. And one of the things we always say is we have a very eclectic mix of music. So if we're singing something that maybe you haven't heard of before or that you can't quite snap your fingers to, wait a minute or two and we'll be singing <laughs> something very different probably on this, the next piece. Right. And, and you have just some wonderful um, concert sponsors. Right. We do. We're really excited. I just found out this past week we have our first season sponsor for season 15, uh, Honor Realty, uh, which is actually out of Indianapolis, has become a sponsor. Blue Boy Chocolate Cafe and Cakery are going to continue to provide sweets for our reception. Wonderful for all of us. Exactly. (laughs) I'm sure I will see Janae at our (laughs) our concert. (laughs) Yes. Um, and they have been a longtime supporter, uh, Blue Boy Chocolate Cafe and Cakery. Last season, Oliver Winery provided the space for our Cabernet and Cabaret, so they were one of our season sponsors. And a, bra- a brand new caterer in town, uh, Blade and Board Catering, which just opened their doors in the Ellettsville area, and they just have their kitchen opening. Um, I would highly recommend uh, hiring them as a catering uh, company to do your events. They were amazing. And, of course, Blue Boy always has wonderful desserts to sort of complement that catering. And uh, Honor Realty, we are really super, super happy. One of our board members is the owner of that particular company. And so he stepped up, uh, gave an extra donation so that we have our first season sponsor this year. Awesome. Where can people learn more about Coryland? How can we keep track of you? Sure. Uh, we have a website. We have a social media presence. Uh, we're on Twitter as pound Coryland at Coryland. Uh, Facebook, we are facebook.com slash Coryland. And we also have, of course, our own website, quarryland.org. 
You can learn more about how to join the chorus, about how to become an offstage member. If you don't want to be a performing member, that's fine. We have lots of things that we need to have done, marketing, fundraising, membership, recruitment, alumni relations, uh, you name it. Whatever you, If you've ever been in an arts organization before, it takes a lot of work to run that type of organization, and we are all volunteers. Our artistic staff receive tiny, I want to emphasize tiny, stipends for all of the work that they do. Uh, but everybody else, and so they are volunteers as well. Um, but they're, yes, coryland.org, how to join, uh, when our rehearsals are, upcoming events, um, a little bit of course history. It's all there. And again, that is the uh, the the best way, the, the site that you're talking about going to, the Coryland site. Coryland.org, yeah, it's Cory, the best Coryland. way to Coryland. get information. Great. You can also reach out to us. There's a contact us page and a phone number. Um, there's even a way you, you can go there, and if you would like to donate to the chorus, there's a donate button where you can set up a recurring donation uh, or you can set up a one-time donation. Uh, and if you are still into writing checks, we have our <laughs> mailbox there, and you can send in money as well. I'm really excited uh, this season to, like I said uh, earlier in the show, we just had our leadership retreat and one of the things that were implemented this year was that 100% of the board needs to give in some monetary contribution mm -hmm. to the chorus, whatever is significant to them. And I'm really anxious to find out uh, what our board giving is for this season because this is the first time we've implemented it. Um, but I know it's going to be a significant amount because I snuck a peek at a few of the pledge <laughs> forms that people were filling out. And that's really exciting to have your whole leadership team sure. um, behind the mission of the organization and to help it move forward. It's an immense amount of support. And um, Bloomington, South Central Indiana, um, I think, are very, very fortunate to have Coryland. So we are going to look forward to seeing Coryland at Pride Summerfest. That's that's one of the next yes. public August events. August 27th. Right, August 27th. Well, Rob, thank you so much for being here today. We thoroughly enjoyed it. We loved catching up with uh, what is happening with Coryland Men's Course. Thank you so much. I love being here. You guys are a great org local organization as well, so we no. support Blooming Out as well. Thanks so much, Rob. Well, we continue tonight with our music selections this evening um, with the amazing vocals, speaking of vocals, amazing vocals um, that we've heard already tonight, we're going to now listen to some amazing vocals from the Broadway community um, coming together in support of the victims and those wounded in the Orlando Pulse shooting massacre. Um, the group came together on June 15th with a cover of Burt Bacharach and Hal David's What the World Needs Now is Love. 100% of the proceeds from the sale of this song will benefit the LGBT center of Central Orlando. So here is What the World Needs Now is Love performed by various Broadway stars. Just too 
back here actually no let's uh do underwriting support for wfhb and blooming out comes from the back door downtown bloomington's queerest bar dance club and venue from live bands and djs to drag shows and karaoke there's something for everyone every day of the week the back door is located at 207 south college in the alley behind atlas bar more information on facebook or online at bc bck door dot com janae this, this is kind of funny we, we've laughed about saying that 
so many times yeah. we can't get it out of our mouths. BCK door. We are back here with Blooming Out on WFHB, and producer Ryan Shaddy has joined us for the remaining portion of the show. Now it's time for this week's LGBTQ plus news. This is from the Washington Blade. Uh, headline, trans bathroom use is the next frontier for courts on LGBT rights. In the aftermath of the historic decision in, the favor, of mar- in favor of marriage equality, the next LGBT rights issue the courts will likely settle is the right for transgender people to use the restroom consistent with their gender identity. Although legal experts have different Different predictions on whether the end game is the Supreme Court or lower courts. Last week, the U.S. Supreme Court weighed in on the case of a transgender Virginia student whose, bar- whose school barred him from using the boys' restroom by issuing a stay, blocking a ruling in his favor from the U.S. Fourth, court, Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals from taking effect. The law supporting the case for Gavin Grimm, a student at Gloucester High School, is Title IX of the Education Amendments of 1972. The Fourth Circuit determined the prohibition on gender discrimination in schools requires the school to allow Grimm to use the restroom consistent with his gender identity. Observers have predicted the 5-3 stay indicates the Supreme Court will grant review in the case as part of its upcoming term. After all, issuing a stay requires a vote of five justices in the, justices in the Supreme Court, but granting a writ of certiorari or agreeing to take up the case takes a vote of four. Ilona Turner, legal director of the San Francisco-based Transgender Law Center, said agreement from the Supreme Court to hear the case is pretty unlikely because the Fourth Fourth Circuit decision is so legally sound and the issue is new in federal courts. Usually, the Supreme Court will only take up review if the lower courts, and specifically the federal courts of appeal, are in disagreement with one another, if there's a real deadlock among federal courts of appeal, and we are very far from anything like that in terms of Title IX protections for transgender students, Turner said. The Supreme Court initially granted stays pending review of federal appeals court decisions in favor of marriage equality in the 10th, 4th, and 7th circuits, then ultimately declined to hear the cases. Only after the 6th Circuit upheld bans on same-sex marriage, creating a split among the circuits, did the Supreme Court decide to adjudicate the marriage issue. Moreover, U.S. Associate Justice Stephen Breyer, considered one of the four liberal justices on the bench, voted with the conservative justices to grant a stay as a courtesy. Five lawsuits are challenging North Carolina's House Bill 2, which prohibits transgender people from using the restroom in schools and government buildings consistent with their gender identity. Those lawsuits include one filed against the law by U.S. Attorney General Loretta Lynch and another by Lambda, the American Civil Liberties Union, and the ACLU of North Carolina, as well as countersuits filed by the North Carolina legislature, the Anti-LGBT Alliance Defending Freedom, and Governor Pat McCrory. A trial over HB2 is set to begin in federal court on November 14th. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton filed a lawsuit representing 12 states and two school districts against the Obama administration. Nebraska Attorney General Doug Peterson is representing 10 states in a separate lawsuit against the guidance. An initial hearing in the Paxton lawsuit is set for Friday. In Wisconsin, a transgender student has filed a lawsuit against Kenosha Unified School District for barring him from the boys' restroom and not respecting his gender gender identity in other ways. A similar lawsuit was filed in federal court by a transgender boy in Talbot County, Maryland, and in Illinois, the Alliance Defending Freedom has filed a lawsuit representing Palatine School District against the Department of Education after a transgender student was granted access to the girls' locker room. 
In Ohio, the Alliance Defending Freedom is representing Highland School District in a similar lawsuit over the federal government's requirement for accommodation of transgender students. Also pending is the lawsuit against Mississippi's recently enacted Religious Freedom Law, House Bill 1523, which allows businesses to prohibit restroom usage in accordance with gender identity. A federal court has placed an injunction on enforcement of the law, but litigation isn't yet resolved. Joshua Block, a senior staff attorney for the ACLU's LGBT project, said the stay in the Grimm case may impact proceedings in these other cases, but they're unlikely to reach the Supreme Court in time for joint consideration. Some judges might hold off on ruling, some judges may not, Block said. I'm sure the different parties in the different cases will be arguing to the judges whether they should move forward, but obviously I don't think there's any case that is in a posture of being decided by a district court and being decided by the Court of Appeals before mid-October. A key decision bolstering the case, transgender people must be allowed to use the restroom consistent with their gender identity under current law is the 1989 Supreme Court ruling in Price Waterhouse v. Hopkins, which determined gender stereotyping is actionable as sex discrimination under the Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. Courts in the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission have drawn on this ruling to determine transgender discrimination is barred under current law. Under Title VII governs employment, although Title VII governs employment, excuse me, not education, courts look to guidance on Title VII for interpretation of Title IX because both laws prohibit gender discrimination. Based on this precedent and other rulings under Title IX, Block expressed confidence the Supreme Court would rule in favor of transgender rights if justices grant certiorari to to review the case. Here is an opinion article from Out.com's Michael Lambert saying that Donald Trump's Orlando visit spits in the face of LGBTs. My kitchen table is covered in white papers with simple drawings of human figures. A closer look at the stacks of documents tells the story of both antiseptic and grisly. Arrows traverse legs, arms, and torsos. Penciled notes from the medical examiner chill me. Every time I look at them, exit wounds. These pages are the autopsies for the 49 victims of the Pulse nightclub shooting, which the Orange County Medical Examiner's Office released to the public during the last two weeks. The autopsy for Omar Martin, the shooter, lies folded in my bag separate. So strange that in death, paperwork is the great equalizer. There is nothing to distinguish the record of Martin's death from that of his victims. No reason I can't file these papers in with the rest. But something, call it instinct or superstition, or plain just decency, keeps those particular 17 pages folded away. As we approach the two-month anniversary of that tragic night, that gut feeling of decency is nowhere to be found. Even now, Republican presidential nominee Donald Trump is preparing to speak in Kissimmee, Florida, Mateen's hometown. The town will also host a meeting of major evangelical leaders so that Trump can court their support during a surprise appearance. Trump, what queer Republicans have called the most LGBT-friendly candidate in the party's history, will be meeting with the strongest opponents of LGBT rights and our very livelihood in the U.S. David Lane, whose American Renewal Project is organizing the meeting, believes homosexuality is a totalitarian regime bent on tearing down the U.S. and threatens our utter destruction. The pastors he has invited have called this community militant homofascism and have advocated for conversion therapy, the defeat of marriage equality, and the recriminalization of homosexuality. Trump will smile for these men. He will shake their hands. He will use some of his best words. 
Meanwhile, an evening waits before me where the pages of dead, innocent, queer people ripple across my table. I will see the hundreds of gunshot wounds sketched, counted, and tabulated. I will hear again the interviews with survivors, still in bandages, still sleepless from nights spent, reliving the terror of the slaughter behind their closed eyes. There are many reasons why Trump does not deserve to be our president. The most significant for LGBTs, though, should be his time in Orlando, his association with these hateful zealots who, who profane the pr- ground of our murdered brothers, sisters, and allies with their loathsome fear. If he stumps with these people, it makes him not just less of a candidate, it makes him less, less of a person. Rifling through these bare anatomical drawings, I wonder in what part of the human body resides that sense of decency. If it could be weighed and diagrammed and calibrated like all the rounds pulled from these 49 victims, I suspect whatever organ holds that decency, Trump lost feeling in it long ago. And if if you support him after this week, I wouldn't be surprised if you have lost that feeling too. Due to we're running a little low on time, so we're going to skip ahead to our music break. Um, this evening, our, our final song is from one of our favorite out musicians, Melissa Etheridge. The 1966 soul classic Hold On, I'm Coming was penned by the duo of Isaac Hayes and David Porter and recorded by iconic duo Sam and Dave. But for this explosive update 50 years later, rock superstar Melissa Etheridge's only partner is her 12-string acoustic guitar. The instrument serves as the perfect complement to Etheridge's fierce, smoky vocal with both conveying the same exciting urgency of the original. Hold On, I'm Coming is one of the songs on, I'm sorry, Hold On, I'm Coming is one of the songs on Etheridge's Memphis Rock and Soul LP, due out on October 7th uh, on Stax Records. Here we go.
don't you ever be sad Lean on me when times are bad When the day comes and you're down In a river of trouble and a Listening to you've been listening to Melissa Etheridge with Inside Track. Hold on, uh, uh, oh my gosh, hold on, I'm coming. The track will get you. <laughs> You're on Bloomy now. Now it's time for our LGBTQ plus area event calendar. It's Red Day at the Indiana State Fair. Last year, we helped spread pride at the Indiana State Fair with an unofficial Pride Day, and we're at it again this year. The unofficial Friday will be Tuesday, August 16th. Wear something red and meet us at the Indiana State Fair Midway Arch for a group photo at 7 p.m. This date also coincides with the fair's $2 Tuesday promotion. We chose this day in the hopes uh, uh, that it is affordable for as many people as possible within the Indy LGBTQ community and our allies. More information on the Indy Pride website and on their Facebook page. Mark your calendars as the GLBT Student Support Services Office is beginning to gear up for the fall semester at IU. From 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. on August 19th, free confidential HIV testing will be offered. On August 18th, the the office will participate in Culture Fest, and on August 19th, the annual block party. More information about these events will be forthcoming in the following days. Get out that gay agenda and mark your calendar for August 27th. Join 10,000 people in celebration of LGBTQA plus folks at Pride Summerfest. It's the largest event of its kind in Bloomington. More information can be found on the Bloomington Pride website and on Facebook. We would like to thank you for tuning in tonight. If you are interested in volunteering here at WFHB or for our show, contact volunteer contact volunteer at wfhb.org. If you would like to add your event to our event calendar, please email us at bloomingout at wfhb.org. You can also call us at 812-323-1200, tweet us at bloomingout at wfhb, visit our Blooming Out Facebook page, or find us on Instagram. The executive producer of Blooming Out is Joe Crawford. The producer is Ryan Shaddy. Board, board engineer is Sarah Hetrick. For Blooming Out and Jeff Poling, I'm Janae Cummings. Tune in again next week at 6 p.m. or listen to us online at bloomingout.com. Thank you for joining us on Blooming Out. Be sure to find us online for past episodes, behind-the-scenes exclusives, and more at bloomingout.com. And don't forget to tune in every Thursday at 6 p.m. for Blooming Out on WFHB.